The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guy's Guy's Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guy's Guy's Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week, once again, is no exception. I've got a fantastic guest, Dr. Ian K. Smith, MD. He's been on the show before. He is an amazing guy. He's the number one New York Times bestselling author of Fast Burn, The Clean 20, Shred, Fat Smash Diet, many other books, and we're going to talk about his latest today called Plant Power, all about the benefits of more plant-based diet, and I'm sure you've seen Dr. Smith on NBC News. He was also the host of The Doctors, and he's just an amazing guy, and he's an accomplished novelist also, and we're going to talk about his fiction work as well, but our focus is going to be on a more plant-based diet, and it's something that I'm a real advocate of, and I know... There's nothing really wrong with eating meat if that's what you like and your body says, yeah, or if you're on a keto diet or whatever, or a carnivore diet, and that's what makes you roll and makes you happy, well, by all means, do it. But for me, my journey to a more plant-based diet started about 13 years ago. I went on the first date with my wife who contacted me. She winked at me on Match, and we got together, and I had read that she was a vegetarian, so we sat down at this little outdoor Boathouse Cafe on West, I think it's West 79th Street in Manhattan. We're sitting outdoors and I was hankering for a big, juicy, bloody cheeseburger. And I noticed she ordered a portobello mushroom. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to eat a cheeseburger in front of this wonderful young lady because it just doesn't seem right. So I'll order something else. So I didn't order a cheeseburger that day. And from there on in, I began my evolution off of eating meat First, I gave up, right at that point, I gave up beef. I never ate beef again after then. And then I gave up pork and poultry. It took me about a year to wind myself out of all of all meat. And that was it, 13 years ago. And I feel fantastic. Now, about six weeks after I gave up meat, I got sick, actually. And I think it was detoxing. I Every, every day at about 5 o'clock, I'd break out in these sweats, I'd go home from work later and I'd just be sitting there sweating and feeling terrible. And my soon-to-be wife, my girlfriend at the time, kind of nursed me through it. And I ended up having to get some type of antibiotic, but I got better. And I took that as a sign that I was detoxing, that a lot of stuff was kind of coming out of my body. And as a result, I had a reaction and that gave me kind of an inspiration and a guardrail not to go back to eating meat. So I haven't gone back. It's been 13 years. And I love cheeseburgers. I love the good porterhouse steak. I love calves liver, grilled liver. I love bacon, chicken, and 
veal parmesan and all kinds of stuff. But you know, like anything else, I, I realized that the benefits had to outweigh the risks. So for me, at least, I thought my body was working too hard to break down the food and break down all that meat. And I, once I moved away from it, it was no turning back. And it's interesting that I didn't have any empathy at the time for the animals. It was just like, I'm going to stop eating meat. And then over a period of about a year or so, I started to realize, wow, I'm, I'm actually been eating these animals and I don't need to because I can get my protein from lentils and legumes and a lot of other sources. So, and I'm not killing animals. So I figured, okay. And I'm, you know, listen, it's one thing if you're going out and hunting the food and you have to eat meat and that's what you do, but you know, just buying meat at the store, it's unnecessary. We don't have to eat meat, but if you like to eat meat and I ate meat for decades and decades, I get it. But for me, it turned out to be a decision that was working on my behalf, so I stuck with it, and here we are now. So I'm really excited about having Dr. Smith come on the show, and we're going to talk about the benefits of a plant-based diet. And his approach is pretty moderate, which I think is good and will be helpful for everybody out there who has maybe considered, how can I at least make my diet more plant-based? It doesn't have to be completely plant-based. So Dr. Ian Smith, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, so let's get it on right now. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Did you know the number of Americans following a plant-based diet has increased by almost 10 million over the past 15 years? And it's not a trend, it's a movement. And today we're going to talk about the benefits of evolving to a more plant-based diet. My special guest is the amazing Dr. Ian Smith, MD. It's his second time on the show. And let me tell you a little bit about him, although I only have... 40 minutes, I could read his, I could read his resume and we just keep going. But he's the author of a whole bunch of number one New York Times bestselling books, Shred, Super Shred, Blast the Sugar Out, The Clean 20, Ancient Nine, Clean and Mean, his recent novel, Wolf Points, the second in the series of the Ash Kane Detective series. It's been picked up for a TV series. I hopefully we'll have a little time to talk about that. Dr. Ian served as a solo host on the national syndicated Emmy Award-winning TV show, The Doctors. He's a longtime medical contributor to the Emmy Award-winning Rachel Ray Show. His podcast, Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith, is popular and informative, and he's got so much more. But let's get right into the interview and welcome Dr. Ian Smith back to Guys Guys Radio with his new book, Plant Power, Flip Your Plate, Clean, and Change Your Weight. Thank you, man. Glad to be back with you. It's awesome. Okay, cool. So today we're going to focus on the new book, but I'm so glad you're with us today because I'm a longtime pescatarian and I'm a plant-based diet proponent. And your new book out, I believe, April 5th or 6th comes at a perfect time, especially with so many people having been hanging out at home for much of the past two years and kind of waltzing past the refrigerator like a hundred times a day. So what drove your inspiration to write this book, Plant Power, Dr. Ian? Well, you know, I have been a meat eater all my life. I like meat. Uh, I like a good cut of steak. Um, I like fish. I love salmon, for example. So I've been a, a, a meat eater for a long time. Um, but I also realized that as I got older, that my body did not process meat as well. I tended to be a little more sluggish. Uh, my energy levels kind of dipped uh, after a, a heavy meat meal. Um, and I just honestly, honestly said to myself, I need to look into whether or not tapering, not eliminating, but tapering uh, my meat consumption may make a difference in how I feel, 
Uh, and it did. Um, you know, I wanted to try to become more plant-based. Obviously, I have known about the power of plants forever. Uh, but I also felt as though that the way that meat was vilified uh, was not fair either. Um, you know, I think that eating some meat is not bad for you. So the kind of deal I made with myself was, could I reduce the amount of meat that I eat, increase the amount of plant-based foods? And if I could do that, I'm still going to have my steak every once in a while, my ribs every once in a while, but I'm not going to have it every other day. And so the idea was for four weeks to try to bring myself from a 70% animal-based diet, transition that to a 70% plant-based diet, and my other 30% would be animal-based. Um, and I did it over a four-week period, and I, I thought going into it that I was going to really miss all of my steaks and my burgers and things like that. And honestly, I didn't. Um, and my energy level picked up. I felt better. I I, I felt lighter, if, if I could express it that way. I just felt more sprightly. Um, and I really believe that um, going more plant-based uh, made my mind sharper. I, I felt like I was less sluggish and my thinking was more acute. So that's what got me, my personal, I, I say in the beginning of Plant Power, I say this is probably my most personal book in the sense that I did this myself. This was my own kind of transformation. Um, and then I tested it in my Facebook groups, uh, some of the weeks on the plan, and people loved it. Um, and they didn't miss the meat and they lost weight and dropped their blood pressure. And so, voila, plant power is born. There seems to be a meat substitute for everything, even though these products are processed to some extent. Like I eat Impossible Burgers and Better Burgers and Beyond Burgers. And then there's a new one that's out now that's pretty good also. That's also pea protein. These meat substitutes, are they healthier than eating meat? The, where I'm coming from is that some of them have pea protein. Some of them have soy that people have a problem with. And bottom line, they're all processed. What are your thoughts on that? Because so many people are getting involved with the meat alternatives. And most of the people who've tried them are saying, wow, pretty interesting. And after a few tries, they come back. Well, yes. Uh, the meat alternative business has gotten really big because so many people are becoming more plant-based. And as you said in the beginning, it's not a trend. It's actually a real movement. And so you have millions and millions of people who are becoming more plant-based who are looking to find something to replace the meat. This is the first thing I would caution people. Meat is meat. You cannot imitate in any healthy way, the taste of meat and sometimes even the texture of meat, right? And so if you are looking for something that is exactly like a hamburger, um, and if someone is producing it, it probably isn't very healthy. And like you said, most of these substitutes are processed. And the reason why they are processed is because the manufacturer is trying to meet the demand of the consumer, it, I want, it's gotta be just like the hamburger. It's gotta taste like it, it's gotta feel like it. Well, guess what? Hamburgers are unique, okay? Beef is unique. So that's the first thing I wanna caution people is that if you're really gonna look, become more plant-based and you're going to look for these substitutes, do not have in your mind that it's going to taste like a burger. That's not the idea. The idea is it could be similar but it's not gonna be a carbon copy. These are the things in the book, in chapter two, I tell people what to look out for when they look for meat substitutes. First, uh, look at the protein content. Uh, make sure that you want at least 10 grams of protein for every three ounce serving, that's important. Look at the calories, be very careful. 
a lot of these substitutes are full of calories, and we don't want that to be the case. Third, the numbers actually matter, okay? You want to make sure that you are not replacing um, this meat product with something that's fully processed with chemicals and all these different ingredients. So look at the number of ingredients inside of the, the substitute. If it's more than five, then it is a very likely a very highly processed product that you want to stay away from. Also, be careful of the sodium. People don't talk about this enough. Sodium is extremely important when it comes to blood pressure. The higher the sodium you consume, you tend to hold water more. It can lead to high blood pressure. So make sure that these processed substitutes do not have a lot of sodium. And then you want to also make sure you look at the fats and sugars. Um, you want to make sure that it doesn't have things like trans fats. You want to look for the word hydrogenated. So you see the word hydrogenated oil. That means trans fat, by the way. And you want to stay away from that. And so looking at those things in a meat substitute can go a long way in putting you in the direction of what is healthier. Let's talk about meat just a little bit more. Now, I transitioned off meat. I actually ended up having a detox and I didn't feel very well for a while. And then I got past it. And I had the exact similar results as you had. More energy, just felt lighter. I decided I'm just going to go with it. Now, do I miss? I, I was a steak eater and a hamburger eater and loved meat, but I, I stopped. And I think your style of, you know, hey, listen, if you can and integrate it less into your diet, it can be a good thing. I'm one of these people, I'm, I'm in or I'm out. But what's your overall take on that? And how did you make the transition? And did you have any challenges along the way when you kind of laddered down from your meat consumption? Yeah, I've been saying for a long time that people underestimate how our palates and our stomach, um, how they can change. Um, and, you know, when people are accustomed to eating large meals, for example, and then they start eating smaller meals. In their mind, they say, there's no way my body's gonna work with this. It's always gonna be hungry because I'm used to consuming 2000 calories versus 1500 calories. And the truth of the matter is that our body is extremely adaptable. Uh, and so when it comes to eating meat, like you mentioned, you know, I like, I eat bacon and pancakes and bacon. I eat what everyone else eats. And I was a little worried about whether or not I would have these cravings for these meat products, but, because I slowly tapered the meat, I didn't go cold turkey uh, and say, you know, no red meat, no fish. I didn't do that. I just slowly, instead of having, you know, and in the book, I give you a four week system that you can do this. But instead of having, let's say, red meat four times a week, which I probably was having, I said, let's go to three times a week. Then let's go to two times a week. And let's replace that with more pasta, more vegetables and things like that. And so for me, it was very seamless because I did it slowly. Uh, and so by the time I got to my fourth week where I was now 70% plant-based, I didn't really, I didn't have any cravings for meat because I was happy with the frequency that I was going to get the meat going forward. And I think that's, I, listen, I think the vast majority of people want to be plant-based, but I don't think they wanna be a vegan or vegetarian, okay? And that's what I mean by plant-based. Uh, and by the way, nothing against vegans and vegetarians, Completely fine. But I think that the broad swath of the country uh, and most people in, in general would like to eat more plants, but they also don't want to give up chicken or red meat and some fish. You're a pescatarian. Um, you know, fish is great. Uh, and so I think that this is a way that people can do it uh, and, and reduce things and get the benefits of the plants without giving up all of their, their meat and fish.
you mentioned, and this is Guys Guys Radio, so we, we want to make sure we have a message out there for the guys as much as possible. So a lot of guys are athletes, and there's even you mentioned bodybuilders in the book, and the concern would be for a lot of guys that, oh, if I stop eating as much meat as I do, I'm going to have problems with muscle mass, my muscle tone, my endurance, my strength. And that's not really the case. Tell us about that, Dr. Ian. That is a common um, belief and um, a misperception, actually, because there are a ridiculous amount of non-animal-based protein foods um, where you can get as much protein, sometimes even more protein, uh, than you would get uh, through an animal product. Uh, and so there are tons of weightlifters and bodybuilders, you name it, who are vegan, vegetarian. Um, they don't eat red meat at all. Uh, and so for everyone, guys who are, and I'm a weightlifter myself, uh, I am here to tell you that you can get as much protein and good protein, by the way, because then the argument becomes, yeah, but the meat protein is better than the plant protein. No, not, not, not the case. And so uh, I want to also let people know that even though you're getting a lot of meat, uh, a lot of uh, protein from red meat, you're also getting a lot of fat and a lot of other things that are not great for you from a health perspective. So I hope to dispel uh, the idea uh, that many may have that you need to have red meat in order to get the best protein. Do hamburgers and steaks have a lot of protein? Yeah, but so do lentils and chickpeas and other legumes. Um, and you can eat those with less calories and less fats um, and, and, and less expensive actually too. So yeah, that, that's an important thing that people should be aware of. Do you think the reason that you have you feel like you have more energy, I do also, is that the body has to work so much harder to break down, you know, the tendons and everything in the meat that we consume, that while it's doing that, it can't be doing other repairs in the body. Yeah, digesting meat is extremely laborious for your body, your gastrointestinal tract. It requires a lot of work. Uh, and it takes time, by the way. I mean, it takes much longer to process and digest meat than it would be, for example, pasta uh, with some veggies in it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, that people have to understand that the processing of meat um, makes you sluggish because your, your gastrointestinal tract is so focused on putting blood flow and energy to be able to, like you say, break down the soft tissue, break down the muscle fibers uh, so that it can be digested and used, that we end up you know, draining ourselves of energy. I mean, you, you've had big steak meals in the past where after the meal, you're like, for the next two hours, you just want to go somewhere and sit on a couch, turn on a football game and go to sleep. Uh, and so, so, yeah, so meat does do that. And I think people will see once they eat less of it um, that they do have more energy and they're more alert. Let's talk about the book a little more. My special guest, the amazing Dr. Ian K. Smith, MD, Plant Power, Fill Your Plate, Change Your Weight. Tell us a little bit about the plate itself, because everybody listening, I'm sure, is saying, mm, that sounds interesting, but actually, what, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I get myself off meat? How do I find the substitutes? How do I reorganize my plate itself? You mentioned going from 70-30 to changing the ratio there. What should the plate look like? Should it be 50% vegetables and fruits? How many, how many carbs should be and carbohydrates should be there? How much protein then? Should they do this all the time? The four-week plan, how does that work with all of this? So the plan basically starts off with a five-day warm-up. And the idea is to kind of get your, yourself mentally and physically ready to start consuming less of the meat and more 
uh, of the of the plans. And so I start with the five day warm up, um, and then it goes into a four week plan where every day is spelled out for you. And it's a point system. It's a very simple point system. And I say to you, you know, for I'm going to just randomly pick a day here. So for example, on uh, week one, uh, day one, okay, um, you have a choice of uh, a shake, a fruit smoothie, or scrambled eggs with cheese and veggies. That's your meal one. And I then you have a snack, then you have meal two. And so every day I lay out for you what your meal options are, okay? And you, you choose, hey, I want to have this, I want to have that. And then you have a certain number of points that you're allowed to eat that are animal-based and then a certain number of points that are plant-based. And over the four weeks, even though we start with more animal-based points, we're gonna flip it. We're gonna flip that number. So your big number now becomes plant-based and not animal-based. On page uh, 26 in the book, um, I give a representation of what Harvard Medical School uh, has very nicely printed at what a healthy eating plate look like. it looks like. And I'll say for those who are listening and watching what it is. Um, so about 25% of your plate should be whole grains. About 25% of your plate should be healthy protein. About 30% um, should be about uh, vegetables. Um, and then the, rain, the, the 20% should be about fruits. That's what a healthy plate, an ideal plate looks like. Now, are you always going to have veggies, fruits, and all these things in every meal? Absolutely not. But the purpose of showing people what a healthy eating plate looks like is you can still take parts of it. You can still make sure that vegetables are at least 30, a third of your plate, right? Or you can make sure that if you're having protein, you're getting protein from healthier sources, whether it's plant-based protein or it's seafood, you and I like seafood, or maybe it's uh, uh, chicken, uh, you know, grilled chicken. And so, so that's the idea is that I want people to walk away from this book not eating perfectly. I never expect anyone to eat perfectly, but at least having an idea that when you sit down to dinner or you're cooking a meal or going out, which a lot of us may do, that you're at least organizing a plate that has these different elements. It becomes your guide, your visual guide. Uh, and I think people find it easier to stick to a plan when they kind of have a, a visualization of what it should look like. I eat a lot of wild-caught shrimp. So I was pleased to read in your book that shellfish helps with uh, your immune system. It boosts it. And may, many people think that it boosts your cholesterol also and that there's problems eating too much seafood. What's in shellfish that boosts your immune, immune system? My, my wife wants to know. <laughs> Well, you know, here's what's interesting. People have to understand that there are very few perfect foods, right? There are very few foods that it only gives you greatness and doesn't have any bad to it, right? I mean, there's always a little trade-off somewhere. So, you know, something may be a little higher in something, but it also has a huge, you know, nutrient load of a particular vitamin, for example. And so, when you asked me that question, what caught me right away was, you know, people have to understand that the perfect food may not exist. There may be some that are close to perfect, uh, but but there are a lot of perfect foods. And so you need to understand that just because, you know, it has a little bit of bad or something, the question is, what is the net positive? Is it mostly good? Um, and when you look at shellfish, for example, and by the way, on page 15, I talk about things that helps to boost your immune system. Uh, things like almonds and broccoli, citrus, 
uh, uh, turmeric, yogurt, shellfish, uh, red bell peppers. Um, and these things are very good because what they do is they can actually affect chemicals in your body. And the idea is by them causing chemical alteration, they can actually assist in boosting your immune fighters, right? So our immune system basically is like, is a system of soldiers. And these soldiers go out and attack enemies, the foreign bodies that come into our system, like COVID, for example. Uh, they come in, enemies come into our system. Our immune system has all these different armies. Some are naval, some are air force, some are Marines, some are army, they're different types. Uh, and they fight differently and they're effective in different situations. And what shellfish does along with, with these other things is they, they help boost, they help uh, stimulate our immune system to be better fighters. People get happy when they eat, Dr. Smith, but sometimes they get too happy. What role does serotonin play in our dietary choices? Yeah, so serotonin is uh, a very important chemical for our happiness, for our mood. Um, and there are foods that can actually boost um, our serotonin. For example, uh, fermented foods like kefir and sauerkraut and kimchi, uh, certain types of fish, uh, fruits and vegetables that are fresh, beans and peas, legumes, they can actually boost our, moon, our mood because they actually boost the production of serotonin. The, 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 the downside sometimes is that there are certain foods that boost our serotonin or make us feel happy, but they not, are not necessarily the best, the healthiest of foods. Uh, and so there's this trade-off. You wanna make sure that you're boosting your serotonin, thus your happiness with foods that are also healthy because you can also boost it, uh, boost your happiness. Uh, and dopamine, for example, is another chemical that's important by eating chocolate cake all the time. You know, chocolate cake, you know, can cause you to release you know, this dopamine and this reward. So you get into the cycle of pleasure reward, right? And so, you know, you eat this, you get pleasure, then you want more of it. And it becomes this, this cycle. And so I think people need to be aware. And by the way, when someone is depressed, um, they give them antidepressants. And one of the ways that antidepressants work is to increase the amount of serotonin that's available to the brain. And so there are foods connected to serotonin increase. I'd like to touch on a couple of specific foods that are kind of staples in how Americans eat, if it's okay with you. So let's start with eggs. There's so many choices when you go to the supermarket now. You know, when we were kids, you go there and there were the eggs there. You get a dozen eggs. Now you've got cage-free, pasture-raised, organic. Uh, there's so many different op options for eggs. And then there's so many different opinions about, well, should you eat eggs or not? Should you eat the yolk or not? I just saw one doctor say, oh, you should eat four eggs a day. And another said, don't eat eggs. It, it's, it grows bacteria inside you and the bacteria inside you feeds off of it. It's not good. It's very confusing for people. So I'd like to get your take on some of these. What's your feeling about eggs and what should people look for when making their own decisions in the supermarket? I agree with you. It's extremely confusing. Um, and um, it's tough when you're a layperson to try to you know, weave your way through the science and different doctors who you like saying different things. My take is pretty simple. Um, I think that eggs are good for you. Um, I think eggs get a bad rap. Uh, I think that um, eggs offer a lot of nutritional value. Uh, and so I am a pro egg person. Now, I will say, however, how your egg uh, was farmed can also be very important. So I believe that the way the animals are treated 
not from a humane standpoint, that's another conversation, by the way, which is important, but how your animals were treated from an environmental standpoint is very important. So you would like your animal to be cage-free. You would like them to be pasture-raised, out in the open, out in the wild. You don't want them to have antibiotics uh, and other kinds of synthetic uh, things that are injected into them to make them bigger and fluffier and, and, um, and more resistant to disease. You have to be very careful. So I believe the good things to look for are organic, kind of says a lot, but also cage-free and pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Those are the things you look. So when I go to my grocery store, uh, I look for those words um, on, my, on my eggs. And I, I agree there. You go to the, to the egg shelf and there are all these different <laughs> things to look at. Uh, and, you know, listen, you know, eggs are not overly expensive. And, and I agree that the quote-unquote healthier eggs tend to be a little more expensive, but I'm willing to, to, to pay the difference because I do believe at the end of the day, not just from an environmental standpoint, not just from um, a human, uh, not humane, but how they treat the animal standpoint, I do believe from a health standpoint, a nutritional standpoint, um, those eggs are probably better for us in the long run. Now let's move to milk because there's so much confusion also and conflicting opinions about dairy. I have an eight-year-old and we, my wife gives him raw milk and he loves it. And I was like, it shouldn't it be pasteurized. And she's like, well, you know, you don't want that ultra pasteurized because that's going to, you know, it has some good things, but it has other bad things. So that then it becomes a whole nother section of the dairy section where how many different types of milk there are. I personally, I don't use dairy that way. I have almond milk, coconut milk. I use the plant-based alternatives and you know what? They're fine. So I don't really need milk for anything, but we figure he, Hey, my kid's a growing boy. He's tall. He's healthy. He's, he's just doing terrific. So he likes it. I'm like, okay, so what's your thoughts on milk? I think that dairy, the overall category of dairy um, has just gotten a bad rap. Um, you know, I don't think dairy is bad. I think people make a mistake when they say don't have dairy, don't have carbs. It's not about not having these big categories. It's about choosing the best in those categories, right? And so you want to make sure that if you're having dairy, that how is the dairy farm? That's the important part. Where is it coming from? Um, you know, and so I think that with dairy, dairy offers a lot. My goodness, it offers calcium and vitamin D and all other kinds of new protein, all other kinds of great important nutrients that we need that, yes, you may be able to get them in other places, but they are chock full in dairy. And so what I tell people when it comes to milk, I don't believe that people need to eat full fat milk. And I don't think most people do anymore. So I do believe you should eat milk that is, if you're going to eat dairy milk, um, that is less full fat for sure. Um, pasteurization really um, is a whole different conversation. It's a conversation about um, how to basically clean the milk uh, and making sure that it's free of diseases. Obviously, you know, cow's milk, you know, it's coming from an animal, you know, it could have all types of germs in it. Uh, and so the idea is to try to pasteurize it. Um, but many people, like your wife, have been fine with raw milk. And here's the interesting thing, is that if you're consuming raw milk and you're, and, and you're not having a reaction to it, by all means, that means that your system is able to process it and is doing well with it. And so a lot of these things is about trial and error. It's about how you react to it. Because I may not react you know, the same way to the raw milk as you. And so people have to 
not just take the headlines and just say, oh my goodness, I must have raw milk or I can't have raw milk. Instead, they got to go beneath the headlines, read the fine print and try it themselves and see how they respond to it. Uh, so, so true. Such a great answer, too. I mean, we are thinking is that we have an eight year old. You want the calcium growing bones. Maybe when he's my age, he's not going to be taking full dairy like I don't. But for for a little kid growing up, he doesn't have a bad reaction. OK, so it's a lot of it is common sense. And I think that's so wonderful about how you roll just overall. And then this book, Plant Power, flip your plate, change your weight. Let me give you another one that's uh, confusing for people. To, and it's interesting. Your take on it in the book is organic and you know organic versus non-gmo and just regular foods it seems like my take from what i read is that you know you're you're cool with organic but it's not necessarily a must have for certain foods because there's a lot of misinformation and confusion about organic and the benefits of that when some foods you might you want organic and other foods it may not be must have people have to understand the history of organic organic started off not as a health movement, but as an environmental movement. It was about changing the quality of farming to protect the environment because traditional farming using pesticides and other chemicals, understandably, to be able to allow the crops to survive and not be eaten by bugs, we use things to kill them. And that's traditional farming. Organic farming started to say, well, listen, yeah, we are uh, using these pesticides, but they're not great for the overall environment. We're saving the crop, but we're hurting the environment. And so organic started. The idea of, you know, we're going to do this natural. We're going to move the crops around, till the soil, all these things that come with organic farming, which, by the way, is more expensive because it's more labor intensive. And because the crops, you tend to yield less crops per square feet because you're going to lose. You're going to lose crops because you don't have things killing the bugs, right? So let's get it clear. Organic was an environmental movement first, not a health movement. Now, on the back of that, we realize, wow, insecticides or pesticides that can be used in traditional farming, they could have residue that's leftover. So imagine you kind of spray you know, your apples with pesticides, you don't want the bugs to eat the apples, and the idea is that you're supposed to wash off the remaining pesticide. But sometimes there's a little bit left, a little bit, trace amount. And the argument was, well, if people consume too much of the pesticide residue, then they're going to get sick from it. It could be bad for your system. And the truth of the matter is, yes, if you consume enough pesticide, obviously that's meant to kill bugs, it's not good for the human body. But, and this is a big but, the amount of pesticide residue, if there is any, if there is any, it is so infinitesimally small that you would have to consume barrels and barrels and barrels of, the, of these crops in order to have enough of the pesticide residue reach a threshold where it becomes toxic to your body. Now, that being said, if some people say, well, I'm still worried that if I go to a regular grocery store and buy just a regular apples, it's not organic, I'm still worried that there could be something on the skin left over. The answer is the dirty dozen. And that is, if you are going to buy organic, then buy those foods in which you are going to be eating the skin. Because remember, the purpose of it is to avoid the residue that's on the skin. So 
eating apples and pears and grapes and other berries. Yes, if you're gonna buy organic, buy those. But why would you buy an organic banana? You peel the skin of a banana. And so the meat or the pulp of the banana is the same. And so whether it's organic or not organic, and there's no nutritional difference. People think in their minds that organic means it's healthier, like there are more vitamins and more nutrients. Not at all. And so in the book, I talk about, I give people a list of what the dirty dozen um, organic uh, things that they should buy. Apples, cherries, grapes, kale, uh, peppers, celery, uh, peaches, nectarines, pears, tomatoes, spinach. These are things if, big if, you want to buy organic and you want to be really cautious, that's what you would buy. But, you know, when I go to the store and see, you know, organic uh, uh, oranges or organic bananas, organic lemons, why? Avocados, why? right? Huh? Avocados. Same thing, right? Why? Yeah. Why? So anyway, just real fast. And the reason why organic is expensive is not because it's healthier. Don't fall into that trap. It's more expensive because it's more expensive to do organic style of farming. That's why it's more expensive. Mm -hmm. Not because it has all these great health advantages that, that non-organic uh, doesn't have. I would suggest to people, and correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, is that the, to me, uh, you know, the bottom line is taste an organic strawberry though, versus a non-organic strawberry or an organic lemon even. And I know a lemon has a thick skin versus non-organic. And I, I have found that you get a lot more juice and it's a lot tastier. The flavor is better with organic products. So whatever they're doing, I'll, I'll pay a little bit more if it's going to taste better. So I, I use that as a differentiator for myself, at least. I, I think that one thing I will say about organic foods, they tend to spoil faster. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. So if you're on a budget, um, you know, and you buy a lot of organic foods, they will they will spoil faster. And so that's the one thing you need to also consider. But I, I think overall, vast and large, non-organic products are fine. Uh, we've been eating them for hundreds of years. Uh, uh, it, but you got to be careful when uh, you're looking at some of the dirty dozen. Under the same vein, and, and last kind of food item, if you will, wheat and gluten, because there's so much confusion about that also. Uh, is wheat bread bad now? And it, there's a mold in the, you know, the mills where they have the wheat stored and the silos and People don't know what to do. And there's a lot of people who have celiac disease now that didn't have it before. So everybody's wondering, are they doing something different with grain now? Should we should we avoid grain altogether? Or how can we manage grain in our diet in, in, a, in moderation? And I, one of the things I love about your work, doctor, is your, your very common sense about being smart and being moderate and not being too extreme one way or the other. What's your thoughts on the whole wheat thing? I, th I think that sometimes trends happen and they get viral and they get all this buzz and all this play. And then all of a sudden everyone gets hyper alert about it. Like gluten-free, which has been around for a while now, it became this huge trend. But I don't think people understood what gluten-free meant or why gluten-free even exists. I mean, gluten is a structural protein that is found in grains. It's found in wheat, it's found in barley and rye. Um, and there's nothing wrong with gluten in general. Like, it's not a bad thing. It's a protein. But you may have an allergy or a bad reaction to that protein, just like you may have an allergy uh, to uh, pollen. 
You may have an allergy to hay, hay fever, right? There, so we all have allergies to different things. Some people have an allergy to, to shellfish. So gluten is one of those things that some people have an allergy to. Well, if you have an allergy to, to shellfish, you don't eat shellfish, right? Of course. If you, have an, if you have an allergy to gluten, guess what? Don't eat gluten. <laughs> but that does not mean that everybody else who doesn't have an allergy should stop eating gluten. There's nothing inherently intrinsically bad about gluten. And this is where the mass media and the internet kind of takes something, a principle, and just blows it out and it becomes something that it's not. And so there are people who need to eat gluten-free because they have a reaction to the gluten. If you don't have a reaction to the gluten, eating gluten-free foods is not necessary. And the other misperception that people have is that, oh, if it's gluten-free, it's gotta be healthier. No, not at all. You can make very unhealthy gluten-free foods, right? <laughs> you can have gluten-free cookies that are full of calories and full of sugar and other things. They just don't have gluten in them, but they still are, they can be high in fat. So I think that people have to be very careful when they read and hear that all these, I call it crunchy granola, type of trends, like, oh, gluten-free now. I'm gluten-free. Why are you gluten-free? Ask yourself that. Take 10 minutes and understand what gluten is and whether or not you really need to be gluten-free because there's you get nothing in addition. Just because you're gluten-free doesn't mean that they're adding something special to the food. They're just taking the, the gluten out of it. You, you're trim. You stay in shape. And I think uh, what happened with COVID, everybody's got the COVID-15 where People gained a lot of weight. We don't have great dietary patterns, if you will, in terms of how much we eat. And COVID made it worse because everybody's passing by the refrigerator all the time. A lot of takeout, a lot of QS quick service restaurants, a lot of fast foods. How many times do you eat? Do you do intermittent fasting? And what's your recommendation for people in terms of how much they should eat and how many times they should eat during the day? Yeah, I am very open about how I eat. I eat almost everything. Um, now more plant-based, but I eat almost everything. Uh, I do do some intermittent fasting. In fact, if people go to my Instagram page, which is at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith, I post a lot of my food. Uh, I post a lot of my workouts. I post a lot of little hacks, you know, diet hacks, nutrition hacks. Uh, but I do some intermittent fasting. I don't eat first thing in the morning. Uh, I tend to do what's called a fasted workout, which means that before I eat, I do a workout on an empty stomach uh, after getting up in the morning. Uh, why do I do that? It drives your body more into your fat stores for energy since you don't have any recent food calories on board. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I, I do IF. I typically do, uh, which is intermittent fasting, I typically do about a 14-hour uh, fasting and a 10-hour feeding window. I don't eat big dinners um, anymore. That was another trick that I learned is that, you know, if you're going to you front load your calories in the front part of the day, uh, and so I don't do big dinners. Uh, and I also work out at least four days a week. I lift a lot of weights. People underestimate the importance of resistance training, which means either free weights or, or bands, resistance bands. Everyone wants to do the cardio, the walking, the running. That's good for you. But you also need uh, to do resistance training to increase your lean muscle mass, not to grow big muscles necessarily, but to increase your lean muscle mass because muscle are more metabolically active uh, than people without muscle. So the more lean muscle you have, 
the higher your metabolism because you burn calories more. The muscles have to be fed by something. So I do a lot of resistance training. I do do cardio HIT, high intensity interval training, which people can look that up and, and see what HIT is, H-I-I-T. Uh, and that's my routine. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty consistent. Uh, I'm like everyone else. Sometimes I don't want to work out. Uh, and sometimes my workouts are not the greatest, but I still do it knowing that I'm making even a little progress. And I think that people have to have mentality that not that they shouldn't look at working out as a chore, rather they should look at it as this is going to make me feel better. It's going to prolong my life. It's going to stave off certain types of diseases. Well, the book is called Plant Power, Flip Your Plate, Change Your Weight. And a good chunk of the book is recipes, tremendous recipes. So I want to know who's helping you in the kitchen there, Dr. Ian. <laughs> well, my wife, my wife is a vegan. Uh, so, uh, and I'm not, uh, but, uh, so my wife really helps me a lot of recipes. Uh, I have friends, uh, you know, who help me with recipes. I get recipes from everywhere. You know, I'm on Rachel Ratio all the time. Uh, and so I'll talk to her culinary staff and some of her writers about recipes. Um, you know, listen, I'm a very simple guy when it comes to cooking. Uh, I'm not a great cook, but I know my way around the kitchen. Uh, and so I always make sure I find recipes that are affordable that are easy to make, not a ton of ingredients, but they have to be tasty. That's my, those are my three things I always reach for when I create these recipes. So I know people will love um, these recipes in the back of the book. Um, they're simple, they're easy, and they're fun. Hydration, we didn't touch on it, and it's, it's not in a book necessarily, but so important, 80% of Americans are dehydrated. So we really wanna help people on our show. So what's your advice to them? Everyone says eight cups of water. It's not necessarily eight cups of water. The amount of water you need to drink is the amount of water you need to replace your daily water loss. We lose water every day, not just through sweating. We lose it through peeing. We lose it through breathing, uh, through our lungs. Uh, we lose it, you know, in all kinds of ways. And so what I tell we lose it, you know, doing number two, we lose water there too. So what I tell people is the typical amount that most people will need is anywhere from six to 10 cups of water. Uh, it's hard for me to say what it is. I don't know what everyone's water loss is, but at, you should be getting at least six cups. Um, and, you know, if you go up to eight to 10, all the better. Uh, the more you can have, the better. Obviously, you, there's a case where you can drink too much water. Most people never have to worry about that, by the way. But you're right. Most people are dehydrated and don't realize it. Exactly. And a lot of the, the things that they're experiencing is because of their, their dehydration. So, uh, I encourage people to drink water. I don't like the taste of plain water, by the way. I'm on record for saying that. I always have to add something, a little lemon, a Me little too. citrus, right? I like to add something, just have a little kick. But sitting there and drinking, you know, just kind of a bottle of water just is not exciting to me. But, you know, that's I, just me. All right. You sent me, you were kind enough after uh, your last appearance to send me a copy of The Unspoken and about Ash Kane. And now you've got another book, a new book uh, in the series, and you've got a green light to, I think, develop the series. I think you're working with Michael Strahan on that, if I read that correctly. Tell us about what's happening real quick in terms of the Ash Kane series. Great work about yes. a Chicago ex-cop who's a PI now. That's right. Yes. Ash Kane is the man. Uh, the book, the new book is called Wolf Point. Uh, and if you like detectives and mysteries, which I love, by the way, this is the other side of my brain. Um, it's fun. It's about a guy basically who leaves the force because he won't participate in a cover up, but he loves justice. And this guy goes around and takes very few cases. He only takes cases that really intrigue him. It doesn't matter how much money that people want to spend. And everyone goes to this guy. 
the rich, the poor, the black, the white, everyone likes this guy because he gets it done. And so uh, it just got picked up to become a streaming TV show. Uh, so we're in the midst of finishing the pilot script. Uh, Michael Strahan, who's one of my best friends, is uh, one of the producers uh, on the project. But if you like some escapism uh, and to get into the world, Chicago, by the way, is the setting. It's a character in the book also because it's a great place to have this type of story in which this guy is going around trying to solve all this stuff. So I encourage people to, to pick up uh, Wolf Point. The, un, uh, the Unspoken is the first uh, one of the, of the series. Fantastic. My special guest today, Dr. Ian K. Smith, MD. The name of the book is Plant Power, Flip Your Plate, Change Your Weight. A lot of great tips in it and a lot of great recipes. Thank you so much for being back with us on Guys Guys Radio. I look forward to us doing it again. Thank you, Ian. And I want to encourage people to join my Facebook group. Please. If you want to do Plant Power, I'll do it with you. The name of the group is just called Plant Power. We have a great Facebook community you can join. And the website again is? DrIanSmith.com. Spell the doctor out. Fantastic. Keep doing your great work and good luck with the series. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, what a terrific conversation with our special guest, Dr. Ian K. Smith, MD. We talked about the benefits of a plant-powered diet and some interesting insights into how do we choose different foods. There's so much confusion out there as to, should we pick this? Should we pick that? What's organic? What's the best kind of eggs to get? What's the best kind of milk to get, etc. And I think Dr. Smith really helped us out a lot. It was a good 101 for everybody. And we also talked about his series, his novel series about the detective, the Chicago P.I. Ash Kane that's going to be turned into a streaming TV series. So that's very exciting. So what did we learn, though, about plant power? I think from Dr. Ian's perspective, he's very moderate in his approach. It wasn't, you don't have to eat, you know, don't eat meat anymore, but just be wise about making decisions as to what you eat and when you eat and how to choose the right foods in the different categories because there's so many varieties and it's so confusing out there. So I think the key takeaway was really about moderation, uh, knowledge, insights, and modifying your diet in terms of what works best for you. Since I spoke to Dr. Ian, I actually turned into intermittent fasting once again. I turned to that. I've tried it in the past. It didn't work. I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now, and it has worked now. I feel better. I'm, I eat from noon till about 7 p.m., and then I don't eat again till noon the next day, and it gets, uh, gives my body a chance to kind of reset, and it's, it's helped me a lot. So I think, again, the takeaway is moderation. You have to do what fits for you. Dr. Smith doesn't say you have to go all plant-based, but if you want to, here's some paths to take. And if you want to just moderate, here's some knowledge and some insights into what to eat and when to eat to keep you maintaining health, a good diet, and wellness. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m., the show rebroadcasts on KCAA every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So you can download it, you can listen live, you can stream it. And also you can catch Guys Guys Radio, the podcast. It's on over, I can't tell you how many platforms, pretty much anywhere where you consume your podcast. We're in 101 countries now. 
and we're growing. Also, my YouTube and Rumble, my new Rumble channel, everything posts in terms of uh, the podcast, the YouTube, and the Rumble posts every Thursday worldwide. So if you want to support us, if you like the content and the guests I bring you each and every week to the show, please do me a favor. It doesn't cost you a penny. Subscribe to our YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast. Keep listening and let us know the type of guests you want to hear from, and I'll get them on the air, and we'll share some knowledge and see if we all collectively can extract some information from these guests and help us live our best lives. That's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. You can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. I cover everything, including diet and wellness. It's all free. And you can also download three free chapters to my novel, which is actually the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's been called the also The Man's Successor to Sex in the City by Dan Wakefield, the iconic 20th century author of New York in the 50s and going all the way. And let me just tell you a little bit about what the book's about. When Max Halliday, a rising New York ad man, joins a glitzy midtown agency, he knows the game is winner takes all. But after Max's best friend Roger, a serial womanizer, seduces his billionaire client and puts his career in jeopardy, Max strikes back, penning The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, a column exposing the many Rogers prowling the city. Championed by magazine publisher and former flame Cassidy Goodson, Max becomes famous, or is it notorious? With the women of New York clamoring for more, sparks begin to fly between Max and Cassidy. Can Max survive his instant celebrity and cutthroat rivals to discover where his heart really belongs? The Guy's Guy's Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. I hope you'll check it out. Three free chapters on my website, and then if you want to buy the book, Amazon or wherever you, you purchase your books, you can get the digital or the hard copy. So, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every week. I've got so many guests lined up uh, in the next couple of months, and I have a waiting list of guests who want to be on the show, and it's just growing and growing, and I'm so appreciative of my guests, all the insights they're providing us. I'm learning just as all our audience is learning. And also, I want to thank my producer, Chris, for doing such a wonderful job, and also Ryan for helping me with my strategizing, how to grow the brand. And most of all, I want to thank you, my audience, my listeners out there who have been so supportive and uh, staying with us uh, on our journey as we keep growing and making the world a better place, better men, better world. And I'll see you next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>